Hello, everybody. Welcome to This Is Life. I hope that y'all are doing all right out there. I know uh, things are crazy. It seems to be strange days, but no matter who you are, what you're doing, I hope that you're just uh, staying close to your family and uh, those who you're able to be around at this time. Uh, I know that my uh, recently this last weekend, you know, it was really, really tough, you know, because we haven't seen my wife's father uh in, in quite some time and so you know we decided we you know we just had enough we're going to figure out some way to creative uh just let him know that we missed him and that we loved him and so the family kind of got together and we did a a parade of sorts so basically we all got in our vehicles about four or five vehicles with fulls of full of family and we you know made poster boards and that kind of deal and and drove in front of uh, my wife's father's house. He's actually the one who recently lost his wife, my, my wife's mother. Well, anyway, and uh, you know, so we honked and you know said all sorts of you know I love yous and bless yous. And my daughter, you know, bless her heart. You know, she's little. She didn't understand why she couldn't go hug or hug her papa. But you know what? You know, eventually things will go back to normal of sorts. You know, a new normal. But that's okay. Meanwhile, what we do here is we just continue just to love God, love each other, and, you know, ultimately everything will be okay. Speaking of okay and better than okay, I am not alone today. Even though I am alone in my room recording this, uh, we have a very special guest who we're actually doing this for the first time remotely, Mr. Matt Quick. Say hello, Master Matt. Hey, uh, it's good to be here or not there. <laughs> for a second, or... I was like, that didn't work. I'm not... <laughs> yeah, look look out your window. I'm actually in your house. Hi. Um, no, I'm just teasing. Uh, yeah, this is cool. We're doing this uh, doing this remotely. So I am at home, uh, not under any kind of quarantine, but just, you know, trying to stay at home. And um, I'm essential, so I still yes. have to go to work. Yeah, he, but, he is uh... essential, so I, I am not essential. He is definitely essential. And so, therefore, he, you know, he has a one-up on me to... He's out there, you know, uh, making differences in the world while I just uh, do my best. Uh, he's staying at home. I guess doing my part is to stay home and his part is to go out there. He actually worked for a pretty important department at the state here locally. And uh, so it's important. He goes to work every day and does all the things he does to make sure that the uh, train keeps on moving. And so, uh, you know, we appreciate you, Matt, and everybody out there who are essential workers, but you are literally out there uh, doing your part to uh, just to help us get over this hump, whatever and however and whenever it's going to happen. Um, you know, and I, and I pray that you guys are listening. You know, you're doing your thing, doing your part to, you know, not only help, you know, maybe if you're if, if part of your helping is quarantining and isolation and social distancing, or maybe you are a doctor or a nurse or a CPA, or you are, you know, working at the grocery stores or driving trucks or, you know, whatever, you know, you're in the media, whatever you do, you know, we do appreciate you because, uh, you know, this is a tough time. And uh, this is really this generation's 9-11. I mean, I'm old enough to remember, you know, 9-11. I was just in my early 20s at the time, and it was definitely uh, something that I will never forget. And this is the same thing for the gen this generation. They're never going to forget this in their their lifetime. So just a part of history, you know, uh, what would life be like if it was uh, always the same, right? So we just got to... <laughs> I guess make the best of what we're given like anything else. Stay healthy best we can and pray for those who are suffering. I mean, that's pretty much all we can really do and do our part. So 
Anyways, so Matt, Matt, it's really good to have you here today. We're going to kind of switch it up a little bit, you know, different today. I mean, I think that, that we could all use that to say I, I have the last three or four episodes I've talked about the coronavirus and how it's affected. I think, you know, we can bring that up maybe another future episode you know but today let's kind of switch it up a little bit and you know matt and i tend to have conversations uh just about pretty much anything and everything whether we're on the phone or texting or in person um you know generally if i have a question that just comes to my mind or i'm listening to the radio or watching a tv show a documentary or something sure i could always go to the google but what's the fun in that why don't i go to my friend matt who typically tends to if he doesn't have the answer will find the answer because he's just as curious of a person as i am and so one of the conversations that we talk about a lot is about space and about just the eternity and just the the just how big and vast the universe is and i mean if you really put it in perspective we're but barely specks in of sand in the grand scheme of the universe and and i'm talking about earth not just even just human beings i'm just talking about earth and so you know, it really helps to put life in general in perspective. And I kind of think that's, you know, we, this, the name of the show is This Is Life. And, you know, I don't think it's necessarily something for us to to look down upon. I think that God especially has given us life and given us families and given us, you know, the, the being and existence that we have. But at the same time, we also need to put things in perspective that we're not – all that there is, you know, that, that there is uh, a greater universe and a, and, a, and a much bigger space around us uh, that, you know, I think in a, in a way is humbling. And I think any scientist or anybody, an astronomer or anybody who's who really lives in that world, you know, of of of, of, of space exploration, uh, is probably very humbling every single day that they go in and just being experiencing that vastness. So I guess, Matt, let me ask just before we kind of get into some of the questions, the conversations and so forth, where did your love for space come? Like, where did you get this desire and this curiosity for something greater than your immediate surroundings? Like, where was it like all of a sudden you were like, you know, looking at a telescope one day or did you maybe a mentor or a science teacher? Or just tell me, kind of tell me where your interest in space came from. I don't know. I guess I've always just had an interest in space, right? Um, I've, I, I guess the early, my earliest memories were just, you know, you'd get out and you, especially at your house, I love going out to your house in the evenings for this, but, um, you know, I lived in a dimly lit cul-de-sac. It wasn't in a bad neighborhood or anything. It's just, we had one street light in the whole cul-de-sac and porch lights and that was pretty much it. And so I would get out of the car to go inside the house when I was, you know, just a little kid and, I'd look up and there'd be this giant ball of moon right there. And I would just, I would just wondered like that thing is, and I knew this later, but that thing we see in the sky, that's the moon is one sixth the size of the earth. But yet I could cover it with my thumb. Wow. So think about how far away you have to be. And you want the number we're a quarter of a million miles away, but just, try to put that in perspective. You could go around the, the you could go around the equator of the earth, about 25,000 miles around a hundred times. And you just get to the moon. Wow. Like that, 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 that's just a fascinating thing. Right. And so it's just, I don't know. I've always just taken it's comfort in that trip. feeling small. Yeah. Right. Go that way. Well, if you, well, if, if you recall when the Apollo astronauts went to the moon, they were going at the speed of a bullet from a gun and it took them four days. Wow. So just 
think think about that if you're just you know they went faster than speed than a, than, than the, a bullet from a gun. But um, if you recall, um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Apollo 13. Tom Hanks. Um, it's based on a book called Lost Moon by John, uh, Jim Lovell. He's sitting down. And he's telling his son in the Tom Hanks's character Jim Lovell in the book or in the movie. He is telling his son. His son says, "How long does it take you to get to the moon?" And he goes, four days." And he says, "Now that's pretty fast because he's got the model on the table or whatever." And he goes, "This here is the Saturn V booster, and it shoots us away from the Earth as fast as a bullet from a gun <laughs> until the moon's gravity actually grabs us and pulls us into a circle that's called an orbit." And then he talks about how they go down the tunnel and they walk on the moon. Obviously, spoiler alert: that never happens, right? Because he's on Apollo thirteen. Um, <laughs> Lucky, lucky 13, but um, I don't know. That just always fascinated me. Um, just, you know, I've, um, if, if there was one thing that I got to do, I would choose to go to the moon. If, if, anywhere in space, I'd go to the moon, hands down. Um, it's, just, it's just always up there, hanging out. And I, always just, I just, you know, there are times where I'll be, there, there are times where I'll go to take our garbage out. And my wife will come around the corner and go, you should come back inside because I'm, <laughs> I'm just staring at it. Wow. Um, you know. And so, um, does it, I mean, I'm not out there for 20, 30 minutes at a time, but it's just like, you know, that feeling of smallness. Think about everybody you know, everybody that you love, everybody you've ever interacted with, everybody that's ever, everything, anything that you've ever read in the history book, all of that happened on this ball, except for a couple of years in the 1960s, 1970s, when a couple people metaphorically went next door. Right. And then in the 70s, when we sent a couple satellites that now have, are in are in the heliopause and that'd be at the Voyager spacecraft. Um, but other than that, everything else, everything you know has happened on this little dot. And to the rest of the universe, we're just a little pale blue dot in space. That's, that's really kind of important perspective. So if that's not humbling, I don't yeah, know what is, right? Well, think about it. I mean, you're, you know, especially in, in America, you know, it's, it's very easy to become very central you know, America. Like, you don't really think about other countries too much. I mean, you may hear about them on the news. <laughs> You may see movies with other, you know, about other countries, but generally your thought processes rarely go to on a global scale. However, with right. this, you know, latest coronavirus thing, it's like it's it's really it's like it's like for the first time in my you know something you know, in my lifetime, probably the last time you know generations felt this way about there being a global. Um, you know, uh, issue where everybody's thinking about the same thing it was probably World War II. Um, you know, that's like the last right. time I could think of where everybody was thinking the exact same thing, and it kind of puts us all in perspective yeah, it's, that it's, we really all are all in the same boat. Even though the, the world may seem large, at the end of the day, like Walt Disney said, it's a small world. You know, uh, right? Uh, that it's, it's all it's all about really perspective and and you know something as small as a molecular virus can bring an entire planet, you know, to, to a stop. And that's very humbling. If you recall, that's how H.G. Uh, Wells' War of the Worlds ends. When it, with a virus? The aliens come. Yeah, the aliens, it, the, the book, not the, not, not Orson Welles' retelling on the radio. It caused the panic. Um, or H.G. Uh, Wells wrote The War of the Worlds. The thing that eventually kills the aliens is they are susceptible to our germs and bacteria. And so they have, and so that's, that's very poetic that they have all this might and all this muscle and they've got the machines that can kill people with lasers and all this stuff. But in the end, they're, they're out, their undoing is a the little thing they can't even see. 
Um, so yeah, go read, go read H.G. Wells if you got some time, if you're not doing anything. People always want to know what would happen if spring break lasted forever. This is, this is it. Yeah, that's probably um, true. Yeah. yeah my, my, um, I don't want to go back from spring break. break. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, but, but even expanding on that a little more, just that idea of smallness is that I've always just believed that, um, and you've seen the photo if you haven't thrown in your Google machine. Um, the photo Earthrise, which is the photo taken Christmas Eve, um, 1968. Yeah. Christmas Eve, 1968, the Apollo eight astronauts are coming around the moon. So I guess I should back up. The Apollo program was built so that each phase, each Apollo mission was a particular challenge, right? So, um, number one we're going to launch the rocket and see if we can get it into space obviously those people died on the launch pad during a routine test so they went to apollo 2. can we get the rocket in space can we get a rocket that brings a lander with it can we get that can we get them to separate in orbit can we turn around the main connection and pick up that other thing and dock them together can we then shoot to the moon can we go around the moon and come back safely all these little steps and we did all of these different things and we eventually got to Apollo 11, which was, okay, we've done everything else. We've checked every other box. Time to, Let's right. go land on the moon. Um, and so that's, uh, but in our earth rise, Apollo eight are the first ones around the moon. They're the first ones that get to go. They don't get to land, but they have all the stuff to land. Um, and their job is go around the moon and come back. And so they did 10, 12 laps. I forget what the, the the amount i mean each lap takes like an hour and a half or whatever but um they're coming around them they're coming around the the moon and they get a great view of the earth and if you remember the photo it's a photo of the very desolate mar uh, uh martian lunar landscape with all the craters and just you know the big ball of dust and then you see a semi-circle um almost a half circle of earth where the sun is um over part of the earth and I've always thought that photo is telling because we went to the moon to discover what was on the moon, but really we kind of discovered earth for the first time. True. Cause because we've never, we've never that been out that far. Is that kind of what you mean? Like, just, right. So, so yeah. So to, you know, so it's easy to look up at the moon and go, well, let's go there and get samples and bring them back. Okay, fine. But what we didn't expect to find was that, Oh my God, everything we do is so interconnected because, you know, when you look at the earth from space and I wish they'd, they didn't get rid of this, but um, for a while, you know me, whenever people come over to my home and we had game nights or whatever, um, the International Space Station had a live feed where we, they would just show the Earth in orbit right. live. And you could just pull it up on your computer and watch it. I think that program since been discontinued. It was some, they were testing something about the cameras um, and whether or not cameras could survive in the vacuum of space because they were actually bolted on the outside of the spaceship. And that experiment is now over, so they've turned that off, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, but you can watch replays. If you go to YouTube, people have taken 100-hour replays of the space station orbit, et cetera. But when you look at earth from space, you don't get a political map where you see, Oh, there's the line that separates the U S and Canada. And there's the line for Mexico and all the States are purple and green and orange and yellow and all the different colors to distinguish them. You just see land. Right. And so that idea of interconnectedness is like, Hey, you know, was when you go to the moon, the earth is that little bitty dot you can cover up with your thumb. Mm -hmm. The roles totally reverse. And that's just, you know, our metaphorical next door neighbor. Um, the Voyager spacecraft when it left, when it left, um, that Voyager one. Yeah. When you were a kid, Voyager one was getting ready to, I mean, I'm drop, but yeah. Do you remember when you were a kid, no, did you ever get lost in a grocery store or a department store and you couldn't find your mom? 
that ever happened to you? Um, I don't know. Okay. Uh, maybe. What I'm saying, right? Like, can you imagine a little kid, you know, the mom goes around the corner or is the kid's misbehaving, whatever, and the mom just teaches the, teaches the kid a lesson. I don't know. I'm just saying, it happened to me. Maybe I just was a bad kid. I just know that there's a couple times I remember growing up where all of a sudden mom was just gone. And I remember having, and I, there's a point to this. Uh, promise, but the, the reason why I bring that up is like, because I remember just having this fear of dread that I was never going to go home again, even though I knew, you know, hopefully, you know, obviously I'd find my mom. I, I, I imagine on a much greater scale, if I'm an astronaut on the moon looking at the earth, that's, you got to be, I mean, no matter how confident you are in the machinery and the science, there still has to be a part of you that's right. like, boy, I sure do hope I make it back home. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, well, this is when you, when you bring that up, um, Neil and Buzz are the first ones to land on the moon with Apollo 11. That's the Eagle has landed and all that. Um, if you go back and you do your research, uh, and there, it's been covered to death, books and movies and um, what have you. Uh, first Man does a pretty good job of the, the landing itself. Um, Neil Armstrong was running out of fuel. Um, if you didn't know that, uh, that kind of gets overlooked. Oh, we landed on the moon. Great. We get out and put a flag, and the eagle has landed, and it's almost like a powder, one small step for man, great. What people don't remember is that he's getting ready to land, and the computer is going to land for them in the stand, you know, as far as keeping the thing level or whatever. Well, when they look out the window to examine their landing spot, their landing spot that they've planned to land at is actually, like, right on the lip of a giant crater. Mm. I don't know if it's a giant crater that like, you know, miles deep or anything, but it's a big enough crater that, it, you know, he was, Neil was worried that if he were to land there and because they don't know if it's dirt, they don't know if it's rock, they don't know, you know, what this thing's made of. We know it's not cheese, but we're not sure what it is as far as if it's a powder or if it's a, um, if it's, you know, a hard surface, we have no idea. And so um, when they go to land, he switches over to manual because he's like, well, we can't land here because he's definitely afraid that the thing's going to tip. And if he lands on the moon, but then the rocket falls over, he can't come home. Right. Kind of like what you're saying. So, so he would, you know, it's like, oh, great. Well, we're alive. We landed on the moon safely, but right. now we can't come there's, back. It's not, and it's not like you can call for a rescue party. You know, right. The closest person to you is Michael Collins. And he's in the, um, he's in the command module, which is orbiting the moon, right. which is the worst. I always felt bad for Michael Collins. Uh, three people go to the moon, Neil and Buzz and Michael Collins. Michael Collins stays in the in the orbiter, the command module, and orbits the moon while they get in the lander and go land on the moon and come back up. He rejoins with them and then they all fly back. If that's not, hey man, keep the car running. Yeah, right. I don't know what is. Like, uh, but the closest person to you is on the other side of the moon. Right. The closest person that can do anything about anything and he has no way to land. He can just, he can wave at you as he goes out, goes by. Okay. Because he's in orbit, he has no lander. You've taken it. I need you. So yeah, he was. While so Neil was afraid. The other side of the moon. Why don't you go and dispel the the, the statement? <laughs> dark side of the moon. Because Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd got, lied Pink Floyd to you. Wrong. So explain to the audience that there is no such thing as a dark side of the moon. Pink Floyd lied to you. <laughs> there is no dark side of the moon. Uh, and we we understand this conceptually, but people don't think about this. So the moon is tidally locked with the earth basically what that means is is that the moon always shows us one side at all times okay well how is that how is that possible so imagine if you're sitting in a chair and you're the earth and my job is to walk around you but only show my front to you at all times 
the way that I can, the only way I can do that is I have to keep turning my body right. as I walk around your chair in a, in a circle. As I walk around your chair, I have to continue to turn my body to face you. Right. And when I get all the way done, I will have actually made one full rotation because I'm back where I started. Right. right? So we have th- that happens all the time. Now, if you take that idea and you've got a moon that's showing one side of itself to the earth at all times, and it's going around in a circle and it, it by, you know, it's highly locked. So it's only showing one side of itself. So it has to rotate once every time it goes around. Otherwise it can't, um, we can't, they can't maintain that front facing. And then you put the sun 93 million miles away. The moon will turn relative to that sun. So sometimes it'll be on the, it'll, your, it'll look like sun, earth, moon. Other times it'll look like sun, earth, and the moon will be like off to the side. Other times it'll be sun, moon, earth, right? Because that's how it works. And so the sun's always shining. So the backside of the moon gets the same amount of light as the front side of the moon. We just don't ever see that. And so when that happens, we are in a new moon phase. The best way to describe this is what happens during a solar eclipse. You and I have seen an eclipse together. Right. We saw the Great American Eclipse. Um, we were at my Mima's house. It was awesome. Uh, we were in the we her house happened to be in the path of totality, which is amazing. That I just happened to luck out, and the uh, you know I didn't have to really go anywhere. I could just go and visit my Mima, and yeah. we all sat outside, yeah, yeah. and um, cool. you know we were, it was awesome, right? Um, it was it, it was very cool. It was a bucket list thing for me to see ago? an eclipse. It was it was. Ago? It was 2017. Wow, okay. It was August 2017. So, um, yeah, a couple years ago. Um, but it was great. And so, but when the sun, pa- when the when the moon passes in front of the sun and fully blocks the sun, the backside of the moon is lit because it has to be because it blocks out the sun. And so, if we know the moon only shows us one face, then we, by reasoning, we would have to assume that the backside of the moon is being lit by the sun because that's what crosses in front of it to block it from us. And so. Um, there is a far side of the moon, but there's no such thing as a dark side of the moon. Um, can I tell you one more fascinating thing about this tidally locking force? Let's do it. We got, we got, I okay. got time. So I guess, we, I guess, yeah, what are we going to do, right? <laughs> um, so there is a, th- that force is called a tidal force that the moon is um, pulling on the earth, right? That's what gives you the tides. It's called the tidal force. I'm sure you can see where we're going with this. Astrophysicists don't name this stuff hard. Tides, tidal force, great. So that's how you get the tides from the moon. So depending on the moon's position as it moves around the earth, it pulls on the water of the planet. And that's why the tides go in and out. And so there's like this bulge that kind of forms on the earth. But remember, the earth is rotating. So the moon is pulling on the earth um, this bulge, and you would expect that bulge to come out kind of if you imagine the water being a big bulge, the water would kind of come out directly to the direction where the moon is, right? So it'd be this little lopsided looking ball, except that the earth is rotating so quickly that the bulge is actually in front of the moon. Okay. They're not directly in line because the earth is rotating away, right? Over time, what is happening is the moon is pulling on that bulge because it wants that bulge to be in the middle. It wants that bulge to be directly in line with itself because that's what tidal force but the earth is spinning too fast over time. The moon ever so slightly a little bit pulls on that bulge and keeps pulling it back and back and back and back. And eventually, I don't think you and I will be around for this, but eventually what will happen is 
that bulge will become directly in line with the moon. And that will be what's called a double title lock, which sounds like a really dope wrestling move. <laughs> if there ever was one, <laughs> a double title lock. But basically what that means is, is that the earth will, the moon will only show one side of itself to the earth as it already does. But also the earth will only show one side of itself to the moon. And they will do this cosmic dance where they are facing each other on those sides at all times. So if you live on the side of the earth that doesn't have the moon, you'll never see the moon again. Hmm. That is interesting. Uh, it's, it'll take longer. The sun will have exploded by then. I think it's some crazy far off 500 billion years or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You don't want to, I don't think we're going to be around to see that happen, but, um, but we see that all the time. We see things that are double title locked and basically they would do this kind of, the, the moon would still orbit around the earth, but the earth would be rotating at the exact same speed. So one day would be actually 28 days wow. because one, the earth would go around at the same speed. The moon goes around hmm. and tides would stop because there's no bulge anymore because the bulge is only in one spot. It would never move. Very cool. Wow. Well, this is my little fun, fun fact about tides. All right. So let's kind of strange gears here. I kind of have a fun, um, yeah, uh, I, I I found a website. I, I just googled space questions, okay, and all of a sudden I found a website that had looks like sixty three space questions. I haven't looked at them because I like just random and spontaneity. So I need you to. We're gonna go. Just, I don't know. We'll go for you know four or five, six times. I don't know. And I just need you to give me a. Wait, number. are they are they facts and fi- are they facts and figures? I, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Need- if you can't answer them, you can. If okay. not, you can't. If you say skip, we'll skip. <laughs> let's just see what let's just see how this goes. So I just need you to. Give so the purpose me- here is not to stump. The purpose here is not to stump Matt. The purpose here is to yeah, learn something. Learn something right, right. If I, I don't, if I don't know, I'm just going to tell you I don't know. That's perfectly fine with me. I have no problem. I don't. I'm a big fan of I don't know. I think honesty is the best policy. So we'll just see. They, I, I glance at them. They seem to be like science class type questions. I don't think they'll be too rough. All right. So uh, so guess give me a number. One through sixty-three, and I will read it. One through sixty-three. Um, I guess let's start at number one. Okay. Can a star go down the turn list? Why not? into a planet? No. No. So a star, um, Jupiter. If Jupiter were bigger, it could be a star, but not quite. So Jupiter's a big Jupiter's a big gas giant. Um, that has no land. Uh, eventually, if you were to fall into Jupiter, what would happen is you'd fall into the atmosphere and the atmosphere would get thick and thicker and thicker and thicker and you'd have much more gravity pulling on you because you're getting closer and closer. And eventually, the gas inside would be so dense and so smashed together, you'd be able to stand on it. Hmm. Wow. So it would be a solid surface, but it wouldn't be made of solid material. It would be made of gas. And then you'd be dead because you'd yeah, get smashed a bit under all that pressure. Under all that pressure, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if, but, but so the birth of a star objects collect material through cosmic dust or through other star explosions or, you know, things being crashed into them or whatever. So something comes in in space, there's no sound. So it would sound like, okay. So, um, that's that's what it would sound like. There's no sound in space. It would just be, okay. So. Uh, things have crashed into each other, and so you pick up more material, and eventually what happens wait, is wait, the wait, pressure wait. gets I so... I remember watching Star what? Trek as a kid, and when the Enterprise is going through space, it goes, beep, 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 You mean to tell me that the Enterprise <laughs> is actually going to be making a... Beep, 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 I, I hate... I, I'm, I'm, 
Welcome to Matt Shatters Your Dreams, the new podcast there we, we started. Uh, well, no, but how? But but think about this: How does sound work? Very, sound very works by right. your throat, your throat vibrating molecules that then vibrate other molecules that vibrate other molecules that vibrate other molecules that eventually vibrate the bones in your ear, which are the smallest bones in your body, and then you your brain interprets that as sound. If there's no air in space and it's truly a vacuum, then there's no molecules to vibrate. So, so if you were in the spaceship, you'd then? hear. Or is just sound well, I mean, sure. sound well, just a reverberation or does sound actually not exist? It's just it's the way we interpret it. Well, sound is a wave. So we interpret that as um, as, 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 as sound um, because it, that's all it is. It's just, you know, I'm talking to you. So my throat reverberates. Excuse me, my throat reverberates sound, which goes into my microphone, which goes into our recording device, which ends up in our listeners' headphones or speaker, which ends up on their ear, and there you go. Well, there's definitely some um, popular music of, I wouldn't even consider as a sound. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, I get right. it. I get it. So, but anyway, but anyway, if you're so, what happens is, is there's no sound in space, so your collision would sound like. Okay, we've already established that. So. You you collect material through explosions or collisions or just gathering in enough dust, and there's just this there's such a nothingness in space that two particles of dust are gravitationally attracted to each other, right? At all times, you and I are gravitationally attracted to each other right now, except that this big thing underneath both of our feet is called Earth is much more attracted to us than than you and I are attracted to one another, and Sometimes so we it attracts st- me to the Earth, to the Earth more than I like it to. That's right. That's right. right. See, people don't need to lose weight. That's the that's the weirdest thing. People don't need to lose weight. They need to lose mass. Weight is the weight is the mass of your body, which is the amount of stuff you have. Right. The mass times the force of gravity. So in order for you to lose weight, you could just go somewhere where the gravity is less. If you go to the moon, you weigh one sixth of what you weigh on Earth. Maybe That'd be great. The Problem is, getting to the moon's a bit of a. <laughs> if you live on the moon, you'd, you'd be you'd be a sixth of what you weigh here, because the moon's a sixth the size yeah, of the earth. Really so that'd be great. Diet. So when people, it's true. Uh, it costs about ten thousand dollars a pound right. to put something into orbit. So yeah. um, just just a quick math yeah, for you folks at home. If if I were to put myself in orbit, okay, I'm going to two hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, uh, <laughs> trying to figure that out. Just get the McDonald's next time. That might be cheaper. <laughs> yeah, you can, it's probably a little bit cheaper to not just to, just to kind of lay, just to kind of lay off the the donuts. Yeah, but uh, okay. so yeah, but when people say they want to lose weight, they don't really mean that. They mean they want to lose mass. But you would never tell somebody, oh, you need to lose mass because it sounds so offensive. Actually, I think I'm uh, you need to probably need lose to some weight. losing some mass. <laughs> yeah, so next time, like, next time someone, next time your doctor tells yeah. you, you, Sean, you know, you need to lose some weight. You actually go, um, actually, I think you mean I need to lose some mass <laughs> yeah, because I could just go somewhere where there's less gravity. Yeah. And, I'd lose and if weight. you need to know an explanation, go to episode 35 of This Is Life podcast. There you go. This Is Life Pod episode 35. <laughs> It'll make sense to you. Right. So okay, back to so, our star. Okay, so the question so is, as you fall, so a planet, you said no. But a planet. No, but a planet can turn into a star. A planet can turn into a star. Yes. So what happens is eventually you get so much pressure, right? Because things are falling in, and your 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 object, your we've got Jupiter, right? If Jupiter were to be hit with another Jupiter and another Jupiter, and all this material were to be collected, it were to collect all the planets through some sort of crazy gravitational whatever, then eventually what happened is the the core, the very the very middle of that would be under so much gravitational pressure from everything pushing in around it and all the stuff trying to get to that middle, right? That center of gravity that the hydrogen atoms 
would actually be be so close together they'd be fused together to form helium so if you think back to your chemistry class hydrogen has one proton and one electron um helium has two right yeah so basically what you do is you in order to make hydrogen and helium you take two hydrogen and you smash them together as hard as you possibly can and you would get one helium and a crazy amount of energy that would come out of that interaction right because that energy's got to go somewhere and so that's a huge explosion of energy that happens. So what happens is there's so much pressure in the core of that material that it ignites because it's so it's so smashed together that the hydrogen atoms themselves that make up the fundamental particles of the universe can't stay hydrogen under the pressure. They collapse under the pressure and form a new nucleus called helium, which then becomes which then sets up a chain reaction of all the other things in the area, right? Because now there's a little bit more space for this other hydrogen atom to fall in. And before long all the hydrogen explodes and the thing ignites and that's what we call a star. Nice. Um, and so, so no, a star could not cool down to become a planet because you'd have to take mass away from a star and you could do that, but the, it, the chain reaction, it's already going. Yeah, so you, I don't know how you go to a planet anyway. <laughs> well, planets have life. Stars are nice and bright and give life, but yeah. I'd, I'd rather live here than live on the sun. That's true. Yeah, but you don't call like movie, you know, movie celebrities, movie planets. You call them movie stars. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And then you start calling like supporting characters movie planets. They're movie stars. Can I can I expand that thought a little more before we got? Yeah, I mean, we got time, right? I'm sorry. I don't mean to keep so, interrupting. I'm just yeah, I'm fine. My rogue. No, 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 no. That's happens. fine. So, so go ahead. So you smash your heat, your hydrogen into helium, and that's I mean, you get a huge release of energy. If you keep going with so the very first stars right after the big bang they all form they turn hydrogen into helium and eventually they burn out all of their fuel right because you can't really burn helium that's why it's great in balloons and we don't use you know hydrogen in balloons anymore because it's highly unstable and flammable right helium much more noble it's a noble gas it doesn't really do a whole lot except for make your voice squeaky um as far as its property so and it makes kids happy on birthday parties, and that's pretty much all it's really good for. In fact, we discovered helium on the sun before we discovered helium on the Earth. Hmm. We didn't know that. Is it true that we're in a helium um, shortage? That's why. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's not like we can just go to the sun and collect some. <laughs> so we got to, you know, so <laughs> it's, not, it's not that simple. But helium comes from the Greek god Helios, which is the sun god. Nice. Because we discovered it on the sun before we discovered it on the yeah. Earth. Just a little. Just a little nugget there. Um, so just a, just a little, just take take that home, chew it. It's delicious. <laughs> um, so if we keep if we keep going with that, then we get second generation stars because eventually, just very quickly, the star runs out of hydrogen, and so what happens is it begins to expand. Right, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because now there's not as much force holding it all together. So it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It becomes what's called a red giant. And then eventually, and I mean bigger and bigger, when our sun goes red giant, it will, it will envelop Mercury, it will envelop Venus, and it might even envelop the Earth, and we're 93 million miles away. So it gets really big. It's not just like, meh, it's... But again, there's no sound in space, so it just sounds like... So what happens is it gets so... It gets incredibly massive, right? Because it's burning all this fuel, and so it kind of balloons itself out. And then it reaches a point where the, the, the core can no longer support that giant structure of ballooning and the whole thing falls in on itself. And so the whole thing collapses and falls in on itself. And usually what happens is, um, I think 
astrophysicists call it the bounce. Basically, what happens is everything falls in very, very, very rapidly. We're talking within, um, you know, matter maybe a matter of minutes or even seconds. The whole thing falls in on itself. And as soon as all of that material hits the core, it all can't be in the core at once, right? Physics tells us we can't have two things in the same place at the same time. So it goes boom and explodes, and that's called a supernova. Hmm. And all that material gets shot across the, the universe and would obviously kill anything on Earth if it didn't already swallow up Earth in its red giant phase. And so then the next generation of stars have that material to collect and make more stars. And so the, that material already has helium. Well, that helium gets so big and so pressured that it becomes iron or it becomes whatever. And so eventually what happens is that material gets denser and denser and denser. And all the elements you know of that you are in your body and whatever have come from stars because that's the only place we can make these elements. So all the material on earth, all the carbon, all the helium, all the hydrogen, all the iron, whatever is all from stars because it's the only place we can make this, these things. There aren't particle accelerators in space. We can make them in a lab, but we can't make them in terms of elements go. And so Carl Sagan put it really beautifully. He wrote in, in his book Cosmos that you are made up of star stuff. Mm. Like, you know, and, and, and if you bring a religious take to this, so be it. But, you know, if you want to take it from a religious standpoint, God made the stars so that they could collapse all this material so that eventually some of it could coalesce into rock and hydrogen and oxygen could make water and oxygen could get together and make oxygen in the atmosphere and nitrogen and all these things to inhabit a little planet called earth so that you could be made out of the same stuff that used to be in a star and this is pretty if that doesn't make you feel incredibly small <laughs> if it doesn't make you feel incredibly small i don't know what does right. um everything it's hard to get the size of the the, the universe but um if you ever are needing a pick-me-up mm -hmm. just remember that the iron in your blood was manufactured in a star somewhere in the universe before it was in the iron in your blood. Um, I think that's pretty poetic, but yeah, that's just taking really, that really that like idea that. of taking it further. I mean, that almost sounds like a, like a movie or something, but I'd like it. Very, very cool. Yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. Well, good, good answer. Okay. Well, that was question all one. Right, so, so one, do you, all right, so one <laughs> question one, no. So two through 63. <laughs> Let's just keep going. Let's go to see what we got. Can gravity form waves? I, I don't know. I'm assuming uh, radio waves. I, I don't know. Yeah. So uh, there are such things as gravitational waves. So I'll say yes, but I don't know if it means waves like ocean waves. Um, probably not ocean. Well, I guess it could form ocean waves because the pull of the moon is what affects the tides and that would cause waves. But um, Albert Einstein, and there's a great book out there by an astrophysicist named Jan 11. It's called black hole blues. Um, we know that gravity is a fundamental force, right? We also know that it's, it's called the weak force. And what I mean by that is that gravity keeps you and I on this earth and it keeps this pencil on the table in front of me. But yet I can easily overcome gravity by picking up the pencil. Hmm. Right. Right. I'm not, I, you know, I, I'm able to pick up the pencil. You and I are able to move on the planet. It's very, very massive. And you and I, Right. We're not just stuck. Right. And so um, because the electromagnetic force in your muscles is able to overcome the gravity of the planet, um, just you, just your body, you're able to pick up things that are being sucked down to the earth under any other mechanism. You're able to override that. And so uh, but anyway, we know that gravity 
is a force, but it's, it's, it's a, it's not so much a force. This is where Einsteinian physics kind of gets in the way. Isaac Newton, my boy, Sir Isaac Newton, always thought of gravity as a force. I drop the apple, it falls down, it hits the ground. Well, what happens? Well, the earth is pulling it to the ground. That's true. But Einstein came along and said, well, that's sort of really what's happening is that the earth is curving the fabric of space time around it. So when the apple falls, it is descending on a straight line in space and time. That line just happens to go directly to the center of the planet on which that apple falls. Wow. That makes sense? That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I get okay. it. So, so space, yeah. So um, if you think about, um, this is a great example. So imagine you have like a rubber sheet, okay? Like you and I are holding a rubber sheet. It's like the size of a mattress or whatever. If I put a ball on the rubber sheet, the sheet will have to bend to compensate the weight of that ball, right? Okay. That's the fabric of space and time. And the ball is our planet because the, or because the mass of the planet, because it exists, it bends space and time around it. So the moon is falling in a straight line in space time because it knows of no other way to go. That line just happens to go all the way around the earth because how earth is curving the fabric of space time. So taking this another step further, we know that space time can change, right? If you have a black hole, space time gets so warped that it's basically a straight line down and you'll never come back out. Even the light can't escape a black hole. Um, so you could be going as fast as the speed of light, which is kind of the galactic speed limit, and you'll never be able to escape a black hole. So if you were to fall into one, you can't even radio back to us and say, hey, it's really great in here because <laughs> we would never get that transmission. Um, because the rate, even the radio waves could not escape you know, they'd be trying to escape so much, but the gravity would be so intense, it would pull them in. But we do know is that there is a project called LIGO. Um, I forget what it stands for now. It's the laser. How do you spell that? Oh, goodness. It's L-I-G-O. Okay. You're going to look it up. Uh, so right. L-I-G-O. Um, anyway, it's it, basically it was it, it's it was a 50 year study where they basically took a laser. They're trying to measure whether or not we could feel a gravitational wave. Like you don't, you're not going to go, whoa, gravitational wave with my body because you, you would never feel it. gravitational wave observatory. There you go. Okay. So basically, what they did was, in a nutshell, they said we want to determine whether or not Einstein's correct because Einstein theorized that if you had two black holes and they were orbiting around each other, right, trying to suck the other one in, eventually they would collide and become one big black hole because they would both suck the other in and then you'd be left with one black hole. And when that happened, the fabric of space time would ripple because you had two black holes that had two different ripples and now you have one. And so Einstein theorized that that, that change would travel at the speed of light because you can't go any faster. And so if that thing happened 400 billion light years away, that ripple would take 400 billion years from the moment it happened there before it got here. Because that's how long it takes to traverse that distance, right? That's what a light year is, the number the distance light can travel in a year. And so um, the, the, the observatory basically was set up where it was a laser that basically shot down a four or five kilometer like tube. They did it in the middle of nowhere in some forest underground. And the idea was if we are, we have a precise measurement of how long this laser actually is. And if the fabric of space and time were to wiggle, that laser would momentarily, just for an instant, become 
a microscopic amount smaller or larger hmm. because the fabric of space and time would change with, when a ripple came through, right? You and I wouldn't feel that because you and I exist in space and time. So you wouldn't go, oh, that was weird, a ripple of space time. We would never notice. But the laser is precise enough that it'd be able to determine whether or not that happened because they're shooting a certain number of molecules, a certain number of parts, um, of particles, et cetera. So in 2015, they actually discovered and proved a gravitational wave. Um, it was a really big deal because it proved Einstein's theory was correct. And we kind of figured that it already was because just conceptually, it makes sense. If I have two balls in the sheet and then they combine and make one ball in the sheet, the sheet's going to ripple that effect out, you know, over light years and light years. But we actually did discover a gravity, a gravitational wave, which basically is that idea of the sheet changing because of something happening in the universe. Um, there's a great book about it. If you're interested, it's called Black Hole Blues and Other Songs from Outer Space. It's written by Jan 11, and it basically chronicles the entire story of the hunt for gravitational waves. And it can explain it in way more detail than I can because she's an astrophysicist and I'm an IT guy. <laughs> Got it. Uh, but yes, gravity, gravity does have waves because it travels through the wave of space and time itself. Okay. Uh, there's a question I, I was kind of browsing through here. I want to kind of ask you because I thought this was an interesting topic. It says here, where was it? Um, why does the moon get bigger when it's closer to the horizon? Or why does it appear bigger? I guess is a better way to say it because it obviously it doesn't. I'll say it doesn't get. Right. It doesn't get. Doesn't get bigger, right? <laughs> right? Uh, that goes into the reflection and refraction of the atmosphere. So when the Earth is, um, when the Moon is high in the sky, it passes through a much clearer atmosphere. But when it goes down in the horizon, it has to pass through a much denser atmosphere because it's closer to when we consider the middle of the planet. So it has to pass through a much more dense atmosphere, and that ref reflecting and refracting of the light makes it appear larger. And you have something to compare it against being the horizon. Usually when it's in the sky up by itself, you don't have anything to look at nearby to compare it to. Okay. Very good. Does the moon always stay the same distance away from the Earth, or is it always, is it, does it go up and like, does it change? So the moon, um, it, it does change. That goes back to one of those ever so slight changes. The moon is actually moving away from us. It's moving away from us. Oh, goodness. Something like two centimeters a year or something really, really small. Um, but eventually it will move. I don't think it's going fast enough to achieve exit velocity, right? So um, if you're in orbit around something, you're basically falling in a circle around that thing. And so um, I guess really quickly, we'll take a side step about orbits. So imagine you have a cannonball and you're on top of, you're just like in your house or in your yard and you shoot a cannonball out of this cannon. Well, it's going to go a little bit and then fall down, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now imagine you've got a cannonball and you're like at the, on the roof of your house and you shoot it. It's going to take the same path, but it's going to take longer to fall down. So it will go farther, right? So it will go farther, but then it will fall down just because it has longer right. to fall and it's going forward. Now imagine you've got your cannonball on top of a mountain just a regular mountain, you know, average Joe mountain. Right. Okay, so you shoot it out. It's going to go way farther because it has way farther to fall. That's true. Now imagine you're on Mount Everest, same kind of thing. Now imagine you're so far up that when you shoot that cannonball, the earth curves away beneath it. Got it. Because you're so high up that the curvature of the earth matches the curvature of your path. And so you would basically fall around the planet forever. 
as long as you can maintain that speed, because eventually you'd slow down and you'd crash. But if you can maintain that speed, that's called an orbit. What is that? And so speed? the moon is currently like, is there a speed um, limit in, 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 in space? Well, it depends. It depends on the no. Well, the speed limit is the speed of light, but it depends <laughs> on the mass of the object you're orbiting. So to orbit Earth, you have to be going seventeen thousand miles an hour and change, something like that. That's pretty quick. And so the International Space that's pretty fast. The International Space Station is going seventeen thousand miles an hour at any given time because it has to, otherwise it would fall out of space. So wait, wait, like it would, it would just fall back like onto the planet. The astronauts are doing like their spacewalk and all that stuff. They're going seventeen thousand miles an hour. Yes. Wow. They're also in total. The, the reason that they're weightless is because they're in free fall. Right. Right. Because they're always falling. Think about that. Hmm. If you, you've been on a roller coaster before, you go to the very tippy top of a roller coaster and you fall down, and you, for a moment you feel kind of weightless. Your stomach goes into right. your throat, and then by that, then you're at the bottom of the hill and you keep going. Well, imagine that feeling all the time. <laughs> because that's what you'd feel like if you were in space, because you are falling, you're constantly in free fall. Yeah, I mean, how do they even concentrate? That's, if that's, it's, a, it's a lot of training yeah. and the right stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. But it's another. And so that's. <laughs> that's cool. That's the. Uh, that's that's it. What was the question? That was the, the question no, was not that. Was what was, was the question about? Was it, why does the moon get bigger? But we didn't we dovetailed into orbit. Oh, so yeah, the moon is the moon is going away from the Earth about two centimeters a year, and I don't know if it'd be able to do so. But eventually, you reach a point where you're going so fast that you would leave your orbit and you go into a farther away orbit, right? Because you'd be going faster than like if you go if you go eighteen thousand miles an hour around the Earth, you'd still orbit the Earth, but you'd have to orbit the Earth from farther away. Because your your orbit would naturally, excuse me, your orbit would naturally push you farther out, because you're going faster than that seventeen thousand miles an hour to stay falling here. So you'd fall farther out. Well, the moon is actually going fast enough that I don't know if it'll go fast enough to do this, but at some point you reach a speed where you go so fast that you actually leave the orbit altogether and you fly out into space. Right? Imagine you've got a ball on a string and you're swinging the string around, and then suddenly the string breaks. The ball is going to go shooting off. You know, because there's nothing holding it together anymore, nothing holding it there anymore. So that's called escape velocity. Um, I, have, I think escape velocity for Earth is something like 12,000 or 15,000 miles per hour because you got to get into orbit. Um, to you got to get into so the orbital velocity is 70,000. I think escape velocity is like 22, 23. I'd have to look it up. Hmm. Um, but eventually you get to go to, to go to the moon. We had to break the orbit of the Earth. So we had to be going so fast that Earth couldn't hold us in orbit anymore because we had to go out to the moon. And so when we send the Voyager spacecraft or whatever outside of the moon, outside of the Earth altogether to Saturn or Uranus or wherever it's going, you have to go so far, you have to go so fast, you have to leave Earth's orbit. So eventually what happened is, I don't know if the moon's going fast enough for this, but the moon is currently moving farther and farther away from us because it's going faster than where it is in its orbit. So eventually it might get to the point where it goes, it's going so fast it'll just fly off into space. We'll never see the moon again. I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think it's going fast enough for that. So instead what it'll do is it'll go so far out that it will go as far as it can while keeping in its own orbit, where it finds its kind of speed match for its orbit, and then it will start slowing down, and it will start coming back in to the planet. Again, two centimeters a year, so you know, hundreds of millions of years from now, you'll get a quarter of a million miles. That's a long way to, you know, a couple inches a year. Um, and eventually the moon would just crash back into the Earth, because it would be, it'd be falling back in on that, on that path. Um, so yes, the moon does move away. It does move slightly, but you, if if you're looking for things to worry about, right, you probably don't need to worry about that. One. <laughs> Got it. 
All right, so I would give you nothing in the number, but the, I again, these, some of some of these are more interesting questions. So, uh, what is the range of weapons if used in space? I don't know <laughs> uh, <laughs> the mean, range of weapons. Like, you mean like you mean like phasers? Well, like yeah. if you were to take if you were to take a gun and shoot it into outer space, it wouldn't work. Okay. Okay. The gun, the gun wouldn't work because the gun explodes gases inside the chamber, which then push the bullet forward. So the gun has to ignite the powder, and the powder wouldn't ignite because there's no oxygen in space. Okay, so that's why they have. So you fire the gun in Star Wars, then. Well, yeah, you'd fire. You could fire a gun inside of an air capsule if you were inside the International Space Station, right. and something happened, something went sideways. So you could fire a gun in there, assuming you brought one with you. Um, but yeah, if you were just outside on your spacewalk and pulled a gun out of your suit, you'd fire it. Nothing would happen. Very interesting. It would go click and nothing. Right. Would, it would explode because there's no, there's no oxygen to ignite. The well, I, was just, I, I was reading this question. Of course, I was thinking like Star Wars, like, does that mean that all out of all those space battles, like the, 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 the Star Wars beams that coming out of the TIE fighters, they just go on and on and on and on and on forever into space. Or do they eventually just stop? Yeah, if they were if they were, if they were lasers, they probably would. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Thing. Um, which would be really dangerous. You would not want that. Yeah, you would want to figure out a way for them to for them to disintegrate after a certain distance. <laughs> right. um, it kind of ruins Tie Fighter fights because oh, he's not in range. BS, he's not in range. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Range is infinite. Like, just shoot it. Like, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. All right. All right. Give me another number. So yeah. Okay, uh, I don't know. Um, Seventeen. I'm just picking a number. I don't know. How do stars move when viewed from a speeding spaceship? So, like, if you're um, from, if you're in a speed if you're in a speeding spaceship, how would you see stars? Like, would they move like, you know, like like trees? Um, if you were in well, a okay, car? so no, they wouldn't move at all. Got it. Or the, it's really it depends on how fast where you're going and how fast you're going. Right. So if you're just going from here to Mars, all the stars are so far away that you wouldn't see anything. They'd just still be out there, right? Um, if you were traveling warp speed, which we can't do, um, warp speed is faster than the speed of light. You, it's a little trick. You'd actually instead of you wouldn't be traveling at warp speed. You'd actually be moving space and time around you, which is a bit of a trick. Um, that's kind of the idea of a wormhole. So imagine if, um, let's see how to describe a wormhole. The best way to describe a wormhole would be imagine you have like a sheet of paper and you need to get from one far corner of the paper to the other far corner of the paper. Well, you could just go across the paper diagonally or wherever your two holes are, or your two spots are, but you could do it a lot quicker if you were to fold the paper in half and punch a hole right through the middle. Hmm. That's the idea of a wormhole is that I get from A to B without traveling from A to B. I take a shortcut. But in order to do that, you'd have to warp the fabric of space-time around you. We know Earth can do that. Think back to think back to a rubber sheet. Um, but in order to warp space-time so much that it folds back on itself, that'd be a bit problematic. And then to do that in a way that you could actually travel it would be weird. Um, the other thought is for warp drive. People always want to do warp drive. You can get places really quickly is that you would warp the fabric of space and time and then ride it like a wave, like a surfer riding a wave of space time. 
um, and that theoretically, because space time has no, you know, space time speed limit is the speed of light because you don't have to play by those rules because you're moving the fabric of the universe. You're not moving things in the fabric of the universe. I'm not moving a pencil. I'm moving the the stuff time itself. So if you're able to trick that, you could actually possibly put a wave behind you and then ride that wave as it propagates to the universe and get somewhere quicker because you wouldn't you wouldn't have to obey the speed of light. Um, that's a bit tricky. Um, obviously, we haven't figured out how to do that because that wouldn't be a thing. So if you were traveling between stars or something, you might see if you're going you know faster than the speed of light, you might see like the warp thing where you Star Trek, they go and all the stars kind of turn into blurs. Um, and space balls, they go to plaid, right? Um, that might happen. But if you were just going from here to Mars or something, the stars wouldn't look any different than they do right now because you're not going far enough for them to change position because they're so far away. All right, so let's do one last question, Matt. Let's, so, so if you have, like, pictures of the Earth from space, you know, you see, you know, like you were talking about earlier, you know, about the beautiful pictures of Earth and things like that. Why can you not see stars in those pictures? Because the exposure is set for the light of the the light of the sun's light reflecting off the earth. Remember, starlight's very, very, very dim. You have to be very, very in a very, very dark place with a very, very high um, exposure to pick up starlight. Um, this is one of the things people say about, oh, we didn't go to the moon. Welcome, we didn't go take pictures. Welcome, there are no stars in the background. Well, because the exposure is set for the astronauts walking on the moon, right. not for the background. Yeah, I guess they're expecting if it was set it to for the like background or something. They're expecting it to look like science fiction, right? Right, and so yeah, it, it just wouldn't, right? If it did, that'd be a big red flag that we didn't go. Um, we did go. Let's just put that to bed right now. Um, and the Earth is round, but and the Earth is round. <laughs> I don't, it's a shame that we have to even talk about these things. Um, but yeah, that um. So yeah, when you take well, one, if you take a picture of the Earth from the Moon, there are probably stars in the background because there are stars in the background everywhere. But they're so far away, and the the Earth is so bright in that photograph that you're not going to see them unless you intentionally somehow like block the window so you can't see the can't see the Earth, and then expose your camera only for the starlight, and that'd be a bit tricky. Right. Um, we do that very we do that very thing with telescopes. We have we have telescopes that do that exact thing, and we have telescopes that look in in waves that you and I can't see. For example, we have telescopes that look in radio waves. You and I can't see radio waves, but it's a wave of light, just like any other wave of light. Gamma rays, microwaves, all these waves are just on the light spectrum. They're just outside of what we call visible light. Your Roy G. Biv, um, infrared, ultraviolet, all these kind of light things. So we can't see any of those, but we can program telescopes that can sense those things and can absorb that light and so that's how we can we can get pictures of stars without stuff in the middle right um the moon doesn't give off any infrared because it's just a dead rock there's no heat inside of it it's just a dead ball hanging out around the earth so if i pointed my camera and i said it for infrared the moon would effectively disappear uh, i wouldn't be able to see what's behind it because it wouldn't be there but um that, you know, it would be blocking the things that would be behind it, but I'd be able to see all the stars in that in that background. Hmm. Okay, that's a good answer, man. Well, this, has been, this has been fun. Uh, we've done about an hour now, but I think it's been a educational. I kind of felt like I was going back to science class, but that's okay. I don't mind that at Sorry. all. Sorry, I think I think it's important again for 
just as, uh, just you know society and just civilization and all of us just to be reminded of just to, to put to put to put us in perspective that we are you know one world like God did create this entire human race and we're all supposed to be working for in you know for each other and you know that there are no borders when you're looking at the earth from space and uh, we just really need to keep that in mind you know about working you know for the benefit of of all of us and just taking care of one another and taking care of the earth that god given us we spend so much time looking down right that we don't spend any time looking up can i end with a with a quote of course we have time for a for a quote so this quote is from edgar mitchell who uh was on apollo 14 and went to the moon and they asked him when he got back, as you would with somebody with the moon, what is it like to go to the moon? And his quote, I'll read it here, um, a little bit not safe for work, but it does a good job of ex- explaining what we're talking about. Um, so this is a quote from Edgar Mitchell, Paul 14 astronaut. He said, you develop an instant global consciousness of people orientation and intense dissatisfaction with the state of the world and a compulsion to do something about it. From out there on the moon, international politics looks so petty. You want to grab a politician by the scruff of the neck, drag him a quarter of a million miles, shove his face out the window and say, look at that, you son of a. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that's a great that's a great quote. Um, but it just kind of puts in perspective how small things are like, oh, we're quabbling about whether or not this virus came from China or not. Who cares? Right. It's, that's such a petty argument. Right. It's here in the scheme of the entire universe. Right. Right. It's here. It's hurting people. We all share this ball. We're all in the starship called Earth. Right. Why can't we just get along? Right. Yeah. No matter if um, we have money in the bank so, or the uh, color of our skin, it still can affect you, and you know, and it still can, you know, make you sick right. or hurt somebody it, you love. It's, it's, it's you know, uh, you know, the, the other big one is climate change. Climate change is a big problem. We don't have a plan. We don't have a planet B. Everybody thinks we're going to go live on Mars. The problem with that is, I don't know about you, but a lot of the people that I know like to breathe. Right. And humans have this habit of breathing and wanting to eat. You, and yeah, you can't really do either of those on Mars. Real quick, man. Have, so, have you read some of the articles? I mean, kind of a silver lining, but like this whole stay at home orders all across the planet is actually doing pretty good things for the environment, which is kind of crazy. I did see that. Yeah. I saw the, uh, the pollution charts or um, the, like, I guess they're aerial views that look at various particles of ozone and CO2 and those things that, you know, they're very, very, very red and, um, full of pollution, and then recently they've been almost non-existent. Everything yeah. just kind of cleaned up. Um, I think that's great. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's not sustainable. No, right? Eventually, right. we will all go, we will all go back to work. Um, but I yeah, that, I mean, you know, I guess real quick, how, how do you think that? I mean, obviously, nine eleven changed a lot of things politically and security wise, and all of those things. How do you think that this? epidemic this pandemic rather is going to change society how do you think that we will be different coming out on the other side okay so i'm gonna go ahead and uh, stop it there um this uh i hope this has been educational it was fun for me uh, kind of give you guys just a <laughs> a little snippet of some of the uh, conversations matt and i had in fact he messaged me uh this morning because we recorded this last night 
he messaged me saying, man, I could have gone forever and ever. You know, I, uh, I just got love talking about it and he loved being on the show. And I, again, it's a little nice break from, you know, what we have been talking about for the last several weeks. And so I think I'm going to go ahead and just put this as a bonus episode. So you'll probably see that by the time you download this, cause it's not a typical, this is life topic, you know, but this is good. I, I definitely, like I said at the beginning, when we first started making this show that I wanted this to be open and everything. I mean, life is, is, is colorful and life is large and life doesn't have to be you know about just a couple of subjects i mean we all have different interests and and uh, education wise that we can learn so many new things and you know i hope that this was interesting to you maybe if you've hadn't had a interest in space before this kind of maybe piqued your interest and maybe if you have had this was just you know again something to keep you entertained so we had a good time and the next uh, hour, actually, which will be posted this uh, this Friday under normal time, uh, I'm going to talk about. Uh, we we end up talking uh, just about how society is changing with this COVID-19 and how we as individuals and our families individually as families, how we're changing, how we're doing things differently, how we're trying to keep ourselves, you know, make sure that we keep ourselves, our families fed and, you know, uh, and all our bills are paid if we can. And, and on top of that isolate or quarantine or do whatever we need to do to you know make sure that we are not that we're flattening the curve as i say yeah uh, i again I, I have that luxury matt does not matt works out in the public sector and he has to go to work every single day and so it's kind of curious to he see how from his point of view how he's handling it and him and his wife and everything so anyway so join us on friday for that uh otherwise guys have a wonderful rest of your week uh, until next time god bless you guys aloha and mahalo <laughs>